1: How to find and hit on sleepers. That's what we're gonna be talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. In the first show, we're gonna talk about sleeper profiles at different positions. In the second show, Sean and I are gonna give you our sleepers for 2021. So obviously that's one that you're not gonna to wanna to miss. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at yardspergretch. You can find uh, my Substack at bengretch.substack.com. And I'm joined as always by Sean Siegel you can find all of his work at Rotoviz. He is the master of the sleeper. He's a guy that I know from from our, just our, you know, 4 5 I guess now 6 years of knowing each other. You were on Devontae Adams, the year he broke out in year 3 and everyone was over him. You were on Tyler Boyd when he broke out. You were on Chris Carson when he broke out. Uh, there's so many running backs that you've been on that are just completely forgotten about players. It's just crazy to me how many forgotten about players you've nailed. And we're going to talk about what you look for and why you're so good at that. And we're going to focus mostly on running back and receiver, especially in this show. One, Uh, I think just really briefly quarterback, We, we know that that late round quarterbacks, you're looking for rushing upside, but that has really been baked into the market in 2021, ever since sort of Lamar Jackson proved the efficacy of that. There's, you know, the, the way that I think about late round QBs and sleeper QBs is that they're going to have to have efficiency booms if they don't really run a lot. And a lot of the ones in drafts in the later rounds this year aren't big runners. There's a couple maybe we could talk about in show two, but you're going to have to have big efficiency booms. So I think about, okay, well, what teams could be really good? You know, what teams can take this step forward? I know you have a couple in mind there as well, but we'll, we'll talk about those specific players next next show. Not really a one that we want to hit on a ton. Tight end, there's you know maybe a little bit more to talk about, but let's start with running back because I think you know first of all you're the zero RB guy you you, you have the the zero RB targets list I can't wait for that that's got to be coming pretty soon in these next couple of weeks every year absolute can't miss must read article um, so anyone who's not yet subscribed to Rotoviz, you definitely have to get subscribed for that. What is it about running backs that you look at that helps you identify those candidates in in the double-digit rounds?
0: I think one of the keys is that we know we're looking for several different types of profiles, all of which can do different things. We don't want to look at running back as just one guy. It's not just the 230-pound, you know, get that red zone touch. It's not just the tiny receiver It's not just the guy who is a little bit smaller but could be the all-around back like a Jamal Charles, like a Chris Johnson, someone who can fly. But we want to have exposure to some of those profiles at prices that work for those guys. And then within that overall concept, we want to have players who are productive, right? We see this all the time where these guys were really good in college, and then for whatever reason, the NFL doesn't like them. They get backburnered. So many of them still fight through. Because a good player is a good player, a guy who dominates in college. Not all of those guys are going to dominate in the NFL, not even the first round picks. And when we see these big time guys who come in and struggle, but it does give you a great chance compared to players who were struggling already at the college level, struggling to separate. And so when you see a Miles Gaskin, when you see a Philip Lindsay, when you see a James Robinson, and these were guys who were dynamic and came into the NFL with much better profiles than they were given credit for. One of the things I like to do, Ben, we have a great tool on the site called the Running Back Prospect Lab. It lets you deal with real players. It lets you deal with hypothetical players. You can put in player uh, profiles and specific numbers on all of these different stats, metrics, age, you know, weight, production, and look at how they project to the NFL. You can do it with draft position. You can do it without draft position. We know that draft position is a huge predictor of, fantasy points, especially early on because it's a great proxy for opportunity. We know these guys selected in rounds one, rounds two are gonna get a chance their team has said already you're, you're gonna play right but guys later on can also be interesting. I like to look at these numbers without draft position and see who really pops because when we're talking about sleepers as opposed to you know automatic early picks, those are the guys who who stand out. So last year for example, early on, in the offseason, you know, wrote an article talking about how Darrington Evans and James Robinson had similar scores to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Now, one of those guys ended up going in the first round. A couple of them ended up going much later or not at all. Both Robinson, we already see this massive season. He was one of the best running backs in the NFL last year, not just among sleepers and not just about rookies, but everybody, right? And then Evans has all of these different problems. The hamstring misses most of the season. He was going to be behind Eric Henry anyway, so he gets forgotten a little bit. But we have guys with profiles that can probably play. We know it's not going to always work out. But when you see the Gaskin, when you see the Lindsey, when you see the Robinson, you want to have some exposure to those guys, especially when they start generating some buzz in camp, which is one of the things that we also saw with Lindsey. If you have a guy like Lindsey who had a backfield dominator rating of 96% and led his class is also fast and then immediately starts to look good in camp, I mean, you have to have ownership. You have to have shares of these guys and be following them very closely. They've already demonstrated that they can do it, right? So I mentioned the backfield dominated rating there, Ben. Uh, You know, it's one of the kind of stats that we've liked here at Rotoviz, And it's especially helpful for these late round guys. It's maybe less of an element for you know players at georgia or alabama who are then going to go in round one round two but when you're trying to find sleepers this backfield dominator rating can be very helpful a stat that sort of started with ryan ruyard and matthew friedman jordan hoover a long time ago and then blair andrews has done a lot with it recently so uh, that's something else where we're looking at production for these guys and then if you get athleticism that's a bonus I mean, the whole concept, like we
1: talk about this with wide receivers, Pro- production begets production, and people miss it with running back. For a long time, it was running back. We're just looking at athletic profiles. Um, that is, I mean, th- that's been very profitable for you, I know, and, and just in general. I mean, you mentioned Gaskin. You mentioned some of these guys that, you know, Gaskin was a four-year starter at, at University of Washington, comes out of nowhere as a seventh rounder, but it it makes some sense when you work backward and you're saying, oh, well, these are the types of guys we should target. There's a guy in this class that is almost as forgotten about as Gaskin and a guy in the last class last year, very similar, that, that show up very well in, in this metric. And I have made sure to have exposure to both in Dynasty. Neither has done anything yet and neither is really expected to. Their last round picks this year. But the guy in this class, especially, I know you really like. We'll talk about him on, on, on show two um uh, but i i just wanted to throw in aj dylan too here like it's a reason that i'm really high on aj dylan it's something that um i kind of glossed over when when doing a a little a little soliloquy about dylan a couple of weeks ago but he dominated it at, at boston college and there's a lot of reason to expect that he could handle a big workload and so that's certainly part of what i'm thinking about with a guy like him that if aaron jones goes down I think he's very capable of handling 20-plus carries. We show that all throughout college. And it's just something that it, it's so interesting with the running backs that we used to, I think, think, or, or maybe you didn't. I, I know I had this issue, and I know that the community has had this issue where we used to think that too many college touches meant these guys have more wear on their tires than than we, wanted, we want. And I, I like to now think about it as like being a workhorse in college as a skill, showing the ability to hold up in a long season and not get injured and handle a bunch of carries and a bunch of, of hits and have a team that is designing their offense around that exact idea that they're going to continue to give you the ball over and over, and over again. That's the way that they want to win. And they trust that, you know, you're going to continue to answer the bell and, and, and carry the ball 20, 25. Some of these college backs are carrying it 30 times a game. That is something that is a positive. I mean, Jonathan Taylor was getting knocked, knocked for that a little bit last year. This guy had so many carries in college and this and that and it's like no that's actually a good thing. Look at what he held up to, look how productive he was. Some of these guys are just you know built differently. Maybe it's a, a sign of their their workout regimen, their diet, who knows, who knows where, what what the signal is, but um, I think they're they're when they show the ability to handle this, then we see that they can also do it at the NFL level, right?
0: Exactly. And then we kind of try and bring in some of these different profiles where if you can just get that profile a little bit in an NFL game, it's going to really help you. So we're looking for people who sort of stand out, who are going to get the high value touches that uh, you talked about so much, whether it's that, you know, one or two yard line carry, it's the receptions when you're trailing, you know, a JD McKissick comes in and he's going to have more value to you as a sleeper than maybe a better, more well-rounded guy who touches the ball between the 20s. So we are looking for those high-value touches. We are looking for the guys who are fast, who have some speed, who have this receiving ability. I think that the smaller backs really get knocked because people see them as perhaps not having the ceiling that a superstar has. But when we're talking about sleepers, when we're talking about you know who you can draft in the last couple of rounds of your draft or have on your watch list, to add in the first couple of weeks of the season because they start to emerge with some of these touches that matter. You know, you're not going to get the Adrian Peterson at that point. Now, almost with James Robinson, we got, you know, vaguely into that area, but we can't be discounting smaller backs who are gonna have high value touches.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the high value touch stuff is fascinating. I also really quick wanna plug, you mentioned the the um, running back prospect lab at Rotovis. I got a question as we were talking about some of some of these things on, on the shows recently about where's the best place to look up these production profiles. The absolute best place is at Rotovis. It's called the Box Score Scout. You, they have everything. You type in the name, you get all this market share data, dominator rating data. It's a fantastic tool to just really quickly look up which, um, which players actually had the college profiles, right? And the, the profiles you're looking at. And then, you know, another way, to, the slow way to do it would be go sportsreference.com slash CFB, I think it is, college football. It's just like pro football reference. They have a college football reference. You can go look up um, college stats there. But you're not going to get all the dominator rating, all of those things. You're not going to get the percentages of the offense. But that is a way to also look at like, you know, whether guys, redshirt and some things like that. I add some context with that sometimes. But the, the box score scout is such an important uh, tool. It's like it pays for the road of a sub on its own. But the high value touch stuff, I the biggest thing that I look at, and, and Sean, we've talked about this for years. It, it's this combination that you said of receiving and touchdown scoring potential. That is where running back upside comes from. I know Pat Corain just wrote another great article at NBC Sports Edge talking about where legendary running back uh you know upside comes from. Definitely check that out. You know, former Roto Visitor, big you know, buddy of ours. Uh, I have not got a chance to to read it because it's just posted here the the day that we're recording. But I skimmed it and I know it. You know, he he certainly went right into this and started mentioning it. Uh, but this combination of receiving touchdown scoring, Sean, something you've talked about for a long time. Pat acknowledges in the article it's not something that's that's new, uh, but it, it is important, and, and he does a good job of showing how important it is. One of the things that I always look for with the late round running backs, and you talked about the different profiles, and you laid out years ago this concept of three running back profiles. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I remembered is essentially profile one is sort of these bigger, heavier backs. They're going to be early down grinders. They're not going to necessarily catch a ton of passes. And profile three is going to be a lot of lighter pass catching backs. So you know the Geo Bernard, uh, Geo Bernard is actually maybe more of a, a, a profile two guy, he's a little bit bigger, but he's still pretty small. Naheem Hines is maybe a better example. Uh, of a peer profile three back and then profile two is sort of the balance that we're looking for with the elite elite upside the guy that is big enough but also catches passes and can do both so it's important when we talk about the the upside of receiving that you understand that profile three backs are different guys like Naheem Hines don't have necessarily the same upside as guys that you know we would consider more like profile two backs there's a there's a point there with that differential between those two different types of of running back and But once you've sort of figured out that gap, the profile two backs that are going to have receiving potential, those are like the absolute best targets. They have the potential in the later rounds to at least catch some passes and have some standalone value. But then if an injury occurs, those are the guys that then fall into a major rushing workload, right? On top of it. And then all of a sudden they're the three down back. They have everything. They have the touchdown potential. It's a big reason why Kareem Hunt has been one of the highest drafted number two running backs in fantasy for several years. It is, you know, exact reason that the Devonta Freeman back in 2015 ended up as the RB one out of those middle rounds. There was a, you know, a lot of injuries at the top. Freeman was going to be the pass catcher alongside Tevin Coleman as a rookie who was this upside rookie that was going to be the early down back. Coleman gets hurt right away. Freeman falls into the rushing work, the three down work, and is so good that he just never gives it back and has a fantastic 2015 season. Those are the guys that we're sort of trying to look for. Uh, David Johnson is a rookie, caught a ton of passes, only got, I think, like 125 carries. Year two, we see him absolutely explode. There are so many examples of the receiving being there, but the guy also has some decent size and the ability to also handle the rushing work that you can then fall out of these ambiguous backfields when an injury occurs. It, it, it kind of concentrates, and you are you want to be targeting the one that has the receiving first because they can – they can then be the one that, when it it concentrates, has the
0: absolute massive upside. We've seen a little bit with the very best running backs recently where you have guys like Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, uh, even on sort of the small, really profile three side, but even uh, in Austin Eckler, where you have this elite receiving value. And then certainly when you add the rushing on, then that's when you start to get in the 300 plus, you know, start to tap into that potentially 400 plus scoring range, which uh, you and I think, and not everybody agrees, there there are some other possible ways that maybe you can do, but you have to get up into this 300, 350, 400 range for backs to really be justifiable selections in rounds one, round two, which then again, that makes it very important for us to understand some of the sleeper profiles a little bit better and make sure we're continually filling back the tail end of our roster with these guys who could score points, could have the one week here and there that they do have value because, you know, if you follow our recommendations from the zero running back series, running back sleepers then become very, very important. And so understanding the player's role and then understanding the news, what's happening. We do the zero RB report weekly at Rotovis kind of going over rushing expected points, receiving expected points, how the workloads for running backs translate into actual fantasy production, what you should be looking for, You know what kinds of moves might uh, be available to you a week in the future, two weeks in the future, or even just how you need to be aware of playing it now. And again, I, I like this element of being able to translate it directly into fantasy production, especially at the running back position. It's very easy once you start to think in terms of expected points, to be able to conceptualize what a runner is doing on the field and what that means fantasy wise. Ben, take us into wide receivers a little bit and how some of this translates to receiver. Receiver is a little bit different because the sleeper receivers maybe are not as valuable for fantasy. Their production doesn't play as well if we're trying to dominate the flex, but that doesn't mean that we should ignore wide receivers who come out of nowhere and score a lot of points. Or even if we have injuries, we have a bye week that we have to address, you you want to have good players in those spots.
1: Yeah, definitely, and uh, I'm actually gonna jump into that uh, right after the break. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick break. That's that's the, uh, the the collective groan you're hearing of all of our listeners at the same time. But we'll we'll get back to wide receivers in just a moment. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a ten year, one hundred thousand mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do. the biggest thing that I think about with receivers, people love to talk about how deep they are. In the, you were sort of hitting on this before the break, but the in the later rounds, that's where I like the way that I think about it. That's where wide receiver is deep. A lot of those picks in the later rounds are more or less replaceable players. There, there, a lot of the guys that start to go. I, I've been hammering Russell Gage all year, uh, all off season, but he's one of the guys that's getting pushed up. I don't think he has legitimate upside. I think what Russell Gage can give you on a weekly level can be found on the waiver wire almost every week. What can't be found in any league is the elite wide receiver upside, and that tends to always come from the single-digit rounds. There are definitely examples like Justin Jefferson, and there are examples... Uh, Robbie Anderson is sort of a, a an anomaly last year, and he, he really didn't even have that high of a ceiling, but it was a, a really interesting veteran... Um, from the later rounds, it was it was a huge hit. So I, I'm sure some people immediately think of those two names when I when I say that. But I'm not saying never to draft the later receivers, but it is very important to be careful about your late round receiver selections. That that they have the ability to be absolutely phenomenal in a way that they essentially should have been going in in the top you know, single digit rounds. It's a lot harder at receiver than it is at running back. At running back, one of the big things that can happen is injuries can open up opportunity. Opportunity can be more concentrated at that position. Obviously, sometimes there's only one running back in a, in a backfield. Sometimes there's a couple. Obviously, at wide receiver, there's several, right? And so when, when a number one wide receiver goes down, the number two steps up, the number three steps up, and the number four steps up, not some guy out of the 15th round jumping up into to top 20 value. There's very few situations at wide receiver where something like that can happen. And so I think it's really important to sort of keep that in mind. What I look for in the late rounds at receiver, volume is a huge deal, and earning targets is an important element. And and so I'm looking at targets per run. I talk a lot about the ability to actually earn volume at a high level is so important. That's what we saw immediately out of Justin Jefferson. He was also very efficient, but he earned volume in a way that no one really expected. I, I shouldn't say no one. A lot of Rotoviz of readers, writers were were talking about uh, Justin Jefferson's ceiling, but uh, there's a reason he was going late, right? It, it was a rookie and there's some uncertainty and he hit on that ceiling upside. And so, yeah, late round receiver, one big element of it is, it, is it a young player that we don't know how good they are yet. And then, and then Robbie Anderson is just sort of the veteran example of that same thing where he was able to, to earn a ton of volume that we didn't really expect. He was in a completely different role. It was, a, it was, again, sort of an anomalous situation, but for me, it's with late round receivers. It's, it's basically young players that could be absolutely explosive, that could be very great, and they have to have this production profile. We know that's very important, a receiver, even more important than, than running back. Or it's guys that, for whatever reason, have the potential to just really dominate targets. And I think that's a, a pretty interesting element of this as well.
0: It is. You mentioned that it's harder for the wide receivers to really come in and dominate in a way that's meaningful, that contributes to your fantasy team. Uh, Before we started, I pulled up the win rates in our best ball win rate Explorer for the last six seasons to see how many sleepers are really making an impact. And if we look at non-rookies, because rookies in a lot of ways are not exactly sleepers. They're just guys we thought were going to take a little bit longer to make that level of impact. There have been 20 guys in the last six years who were drafted outside the first 100 picks, scored at least 150 points, and posted a win rate above 15%. So that's not a huge number, and yet at the same time, it is a number that you know we wanna have some exposure to. If you're on those guys, then it will help you. JD McKissick obviously leads the way with the, the numbers he put up last year. The number two guy is James Connor. Uh, he was one of those guys in 2018 that we were targeting as part of the zero running back group. And looking at him, you know, more or less like a handcuff, but obviously the situation there with Le'Veon Bell allowed him to come out, put up 271 points, have a 22% win rate. Interesting guy. The receivers, we don't see as many, but a couple of interesting names do pop up. Doug Baldwin in 2015, just short of 260 points. We have Adam Thielen in 2017, 231 points. Both of those guys making a big impact. And Ben, I think kind of interesting in that those are guys who fought, stuck around. You've mentioned in the past Barry. nice to be the breakout series that I write every season and look at, you know, year one, two, three, four, five, the differences in those players. And one of the interesting things that we do see is that the breakouts have a different profile. And guys who are breaking out in year five tend to come from this group where you had to fight to stick in the NFL and in some cases even You fought, you stuck around, when you were able to get out, go to a different team, you made an impact that way. So we do have some guys from this group, Emmanuel Sanders, Doug Baldwin, Thielen, uh, Julian Edelman. We have some fifth-year players like that who come out of nowhere at wide receiver. I think that's an interesting element. I did do the fifth-year breakout article recently. One of the things that's tricky maybe this season is that there aren't a lot of great prospects for targeting the fifth-year guys on the move or otherwise. Corey Davis, Mike Williams still trying to break out as first-round picks, which we know is hard. You've really had your chance to show what you can do when you're drafted that early. Then what are some of the other things that we want to know about these sleeper wide receivers? We talked a little bit before the show about following the news. We do know that injuries can come into play, And so it's a huge impact at running back. At wide receiver, it tends to benefit the stars, right? So instead of saying, okay, well now here's another guy who can play, we see the star have a big jump in his market share. And then as a result, that person goes on to a league winning season is maybe overdrafted a little bit the next year, but maybe there are some situations, and especially this year, you know, we'll talk about New Orleans with our guest uh, later in the week, but, Looking at some of these guys who break out, I have another group of breakouts I wanna talk about in a moment, but do you have some things that you're looking for from a profile perspective from wide receivers? I think back again to this dynasty sleeper column that I've written, and not even exactly sleepers, but this idea of reselecting the last seven rookie drafts, trying to figure out, well, who jumped up into the first couple rounds, who now, are the players that several years later, if we did the draft again, we'd be looking and say, yeah, I I should have had that guy. One of the things that's interesting at both the running back and the wide receiver position is that we see elite producers move in and we see special athletes move in, but we don't see guys who don't have special traits. That was one of the things about the running back profiles as well, the profile one, profile two, profile three, each one of those groups, the guys within it, the people that I suggested we should be targeting at different price levels, had some special traits. Uh, there are a lot of guys who are drafted in rounds four through seven that we kind of scratch our heads at every year because they don't have special traits, whereas some players with special traits do go undrafted.
1: Yeah, you mentioned, and, and we should have hit on that probably before the break, We're towards the end of the episode, but this is one of the most important parts of this. That that You mentioned two pieces of research that you've done that I, that I weigh very heavily, and I just sort of tail you on, which uh, I have no shame admitting, I think most of our listeners are, are familiar with tailing Sean Siegel on, on some concepts. That one is, is the huge one that we probably should have mentioned right at the top, that you showed that a lot of these guys, even if they take some time, they have something in their profile that is unique. They're either dominant producers or they're incredibly athletic. They're the Chase Claypool types who wasn't necessarily a great producer, but was someone else you were on for those reasons, for his insane athleticism. That I always keep in mind. It can't just be a guy like Russell Gage, right? <laughs> like that's that's why I'm hammering so hard this Russell Gage situation. He doesn't necessarily have dominant athleticism. I think he has some like decent jump numbers or things, but he's not like a freak athlete by any means. And he has like almost no production to speak of. His, his profile is a little bit interesting because he played cornerback some at college. So like maybe you could make some excuses for him, but ultimately he doesn't have anything very special on his profile. And the only reason he gets drafted very high is, is because of this expected volume and all those things, which targets are earned. And, and he hasn't done a decent job of earning targets at times in his career, but it's it's just decent and he hasn't been efficient. And so that's another thing I would add is with young players, I want to see at least the ability to be efficient past the target point. So like yards per target, catch rate, you know, the ability to actually turn passes thrown to you into a lot of yards. It's not just volume dependent. Uh, and then also obviously efficient in terms of targets per route run, drawing targets on your routes Gage ran a ton of routes last year. His targets sprout run were okay, especially uh, not great, I would say. Especially when you consider that you know Julio was out and there was basically no one else there. So that's an example of not having the traits, right? Not having really anything in the profile that says this guy has the ability to be a star. If he becomes a star, it will be a huge anomaly. It will not be the type of thing that we see. And so, and that work you did was it was so incredible. The second part that you mentioned really briefly was. The, the breakout series where you showed, and it's so intuitive and so smart. It's my favorite type of deep analysis that it fits everything that we know. We know that draft capital matters a ton because those players, the, the people who made those selections are also the ones that are doling out playing time. That's a, a fantasy douche quote. He used to love to say it exactly <laughs> that way. And, and I, I even remember, I always use the word doling out playing time. I just, it, uh, it always cracked me up for whatever reason. The people making the selections are doling out playing time. They are invested in these high, draft picks they're going to give them opportunities and so if they're going to break out if those players are good enough to do it at the NFL level we should know pretty quick and your work has shown that we tend to if they don't break out early they don't tend to break out late meanwhile you mentioned those other players those Adam Thielen's, those Doug Baldwin's their later picks that to stick around a little bit before they get they really get this opportunity even Stefan Diggs could be thrown in there he was great right away and he was very good for several years with Minnesota but Minnesota never knew what they had Buffalo came in and said, we're going to give you a first round pick and three other picks or whatever it was, ton of draft capital because we think he is an elite number one wide receiver and we're going to treat him that way. And that's part of what happens with some of these later round picks is teams stick with what they their initial evaluation against all evidence over multiple years. And that's that was, again, I think the, the major mistake that Minnesota made with Stephon Diggs. Uh, you can only criticize him so much because they turned around and drafted Justin Jefferson and, and everything worked out on their end. As far as Stefan Diggs' career is concerned, part of the reason it might have taken so long for him to break out and it required a team change was finally a different team saw you know, what he really was. It takes time for these later round picks to actually get there. And so there's some interesting players that have have slowly built that I think could be really great picks in the later rounds this year. And I'm really excited to get into some of them in in, in show two, But that is such an important point uh, and is, is – uh, it makes so much sense based on what we
0: know. So Ben, we have to wrap up our episode here so we can get to recording the specific guys, the names that everybody wants to hear. Did you want to throw anything in about tight end before we sign off? Or are we going to give our tight end sleepers in, in show too?
1: I, I think, yeah, I, I think we can, we can do it, I guess really quickly here, but athleticism matters, you know, uh, efficiency matters more at the tight end position certainly an ability to dominate targets would matter too, but that tends to be baked in, you know, guys that actually have real profiles at tight end tend to be valued in fantasy touchdown potential goes along with the athleticism. You've shown that across positions. I, one thing at at tight end that is like the only position that I, that I care about uh, maybe not, that's not entirely true because running back is true to a degree, especially in the later rounds, but offensive context, can dictate a lot situation can dictate a lot. You know, we look at Logan Thomas. He didn't really have a lot on his profile other than, yeah, he's a decent athlete, but the offensive context last year was really important for him. That is uh, something that I'm certainly considering. I'm more willing to be like, okay, roll, you know, the Russell gauge of tight ends might be interesting. Somebody who actually has the potential to have a lot of targets because we just don't see a ton of tight ends that, that can have a lot of targets and, and, have the potential for a huge role like that. So some of those elements that are a little bit things that we say to avoid at other positions, I think are a little bit more open uh, for consideration in tight end, basically.
0: Well, I have a lot of Logan Thomas on my dynasty teams. I had Logan Thomas on a couple of my key main event teams last year. I'm drafting Logan Thomas right now. And I'm doing all of that because at this time last season, Ben was telling me to draft him. If not for Ben, I would not have all the Logan Thomas. So I'm excited to hear who his tight end sleepers are in show two. That's going to do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel and with me is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards uh, Make sure you do sign up for his newsletter, Stealing Signals. It is the best fantasy content you will read. Also, honestly, we'd love for you to sign up for Rotoviz. If you do, you can save some money by using the code RBRADIO2021 at checkout. We'll have more episodes this week. Please subscribe to our feed to get those uh, a little bit early when they release. And until next time, keep drafting.